0: after a lot of research, ended up being um, competitors and other parties scraping our website to such an extent that they more or less managed to bring it down.
1: Uh, So we designed a solution that is specifically targeted for for protecting e-commerce sites such as ours.
0: Right? What is the traffic that is valuable for us, Bold.com as a company?
1: However, doing these analysis offline, is much easier because if you just look at the web traffic of last week, you we can easily detect like these were patterns that are totally off.
0: Well, honestly, I'm really proud of that. And I think uh, I've learned so much uh, and we delivered a lot of value. Um, so yeah, when it comes to utilizing a crisis by uh, ball, I think uh, we uh, made the best of it.
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Ball.com Tech Lab podcast. We share our experience with you speaking behind the screens of IT and tech in general at Bol.com, the largest e-commerce platform in the Netherlands and Belgium. We are sharing our approach to IT, e-commerce and retail platforms. The hosts of the show, Peter Paul van der Beek and Peter Brouwers.
3: Welcome to the new episode of the Tech Lab podcast. I think we have an interesting uh, topic ahead, a little sensitive. And Peter will tell a little bit more about why it's sensitive.
4: Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, the topic is about uh, uh, DDoS attacks and how to uh, to prevent them, or how we in bot.com, uh started to prevent it. Yeah, so if you look at the title of this episode, you might think that we are going to unveil our details about how we protect the bot.com platform against these uh, kind of attacks. But we should be clear about this: and the current world we live in, it's just not possible to uh, to unveil everything. It, it would be too uh, too sensitive and too tricky. But, but we really wanted to talk about this because the solution used is, is worthwhile sharing. So yeah, we double checked it with our security department and verified fire, what aspects we can share. Um, but by the way, if we, rec- if we record it uh, and, and we do the edit afterwards, we might beep some some things out. So that's why uh, why you might hear some beeps. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, I think it's time to introduce the guest page, Paul, and start talking about it.
3: Yeah, indeed, because I think it's an interesting topic and we got together different and interesting technologies to, to combine, so that's why we really want to bring this to you. And we got two interesting good guests uh, for you on the show uh, today. So we have Ke- uh, Barry Kersberger, who's a principal research scientist I read. Um, he's a data scientist in the recommendation, and you might recall his name from the episode on the artificial uh, intelligence research lab on recommendations that we did. I don't know how many, 20 episodes back or so, no idea, but welcome back Barry. Uh, and then we have Frank Couten, who's a Product athlete in Shopping or Buying, what's it called today? Uh, uh, oh, oh
0: Lord, Lord. Um, I honestly lost track.
3: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, then, then it doesn't matter that I, while I'm not in that uh, area, also lost track. Then, uh, I think it's very close to a webshop and very close to where a lot of traffic is entering uh, <clears throat> our uh, landscape. And I think that's why you're involved.
4: Nice bridge, Peter Paul. <laughs> uh, thanks, Peter. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: anyway, hey, um, DDoS uh, protection. So, for an e commerce site like bol.com, are DDoS attacks a large problem
0: in general? Yeah, you can. Um... Definitely, state that we get our fair share of DDoS attacks uh, throughout the year. Usually, they um, are at uh, level five in the network layer. That might not uh, mean a lot to everybody, um, but layer seven is where our usually uh, usual customer traffic comes from, which is basically in our case HTTP.
3: Okay. And that it's on layer five means what? What are the implications of that, of that for us as an Let's say tech organization.
0: So usually level five is really intended to do harm, to bring you down, um, and the other level of well attacks we see might not even really be attacks. They are just um, extreme amount of normal traffic uh, that you uh, see on a website. So level five is really targeted at
1: um, causing problems. So level five means invalid uh, TCP packets. So they might send to acknowledge something while it has never been introduced, stuff like that. And then services need to keep the connections open to figure out when the and retry connections, etc., which is very expensive. And what Frank says, level the higher levels are on application level. So this is HTTP protocols. Yes, indeed. Yeah.
0: Thank you, buddy.
3: Exactly. And, and to give an idea of... Uh, this says something for me about the uh, uh, severity of the attacks. I think that there's. Uh, we can also state something about the frequency, or is it like once a week, once a month, once a year? What? About, what?
0: So the uh, attacks, uh, quote unquote, that we are uh, dealing with at the moment are um, uh, at level seven. So they mean there are. Uh, Traffic that's at first sight, not distinguishable uh, between this kind of traffic and the traffic that our customers have this kind of traffic um, comes in waves, especially during the holiday season um, uh, before Christmas and Santa Claus uh, or a no, Santa claus I have no clue how to say that in English. Um, then we see large volumes of people scraping our site. Um, but this is also happening during the day every day and at night every night. So basically, continuous with phases of real extreme traffic. And
3: uh, you ma- you mentioned uh, the the like peak moments, which are already peak moments because of, of our customers. <clears throat> it also sounds like also that's a more important time of the year for competitors and other like bots to scrape our website to check our prices because of, uh, let's say competitive issues, but I can also imagine that if you talk about the holiday season, then I also think of uh, kids having some time off and trying to see what they can can achieve. Which which of the, the types are there?
0: Well, I think you pretty much covered all by now. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think most of the problematic traffic we're reasoning about is. From competitors trying to see uh, what we have in stock. Um, what we selling against what price. Uh, and actual product uh, content to see how we describe our products. Those are uh, that's the traffic that we're mainly talking about. For example, a really good example, I think is the PS5 stock worldwide shortage. Um, There's a really big interest of uh, resellers to get their hands on a PS5. So as soon as we release a PS5, the, the whole day after we see a large increase in request volumes targeting PS5 offers and PS5 product pages.
4: Okay, in, in my uh, thought, uh, we were going to talk about DDoS attacks, but is this kind of scraping then seen as a DDoS, or uh, is the scope a bit wider of this episode then?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So what started out as something um, that was scraping our platform, and we initially thought, hey, we're being DDoSed by some malicious party, after a lot of research ended up being um, competitors and other parties scraping our website to such an extent that they more or less managed to bring it down. So So it's
4: comparable, yeah.
0: Exactly, so it's um, an unintended DDoS attack, basically, where our functionality was abused for their own gain.
1: And this is happening at such scale that from a competitor advantage, you might think we're only doing like uh, 10,000 requests per second. But if you have uh, a million of competitors doing the thousand of requests, then that adds up. And, right. and this is the situation Excellent. that we're talking about. And the difference is that one is uh, the, the traditional denial of service attack, which could be stopped with traditional tooling, was more for destructive nature happening at the lower OC levels, like Frank explained. And what we now see is that, um, yeah, the, the, there's so much activity going on for whatever reason that, uh, yeah, that we are no longer able to serve content to humans, which of course uh, is not good for us.
3: Exactly, exactly. So in the end, we, uh, given the growth of our platform, the uh, the, uh, the curiosity that uh, attracts from competitors and and whoever basically the let's say uh, not people who want to just check our, <laughs> our our catalog or see what our prices are just humans wanting to buy stuff there is basically such an amount of bots scripts whatever running that uh, it basically harms uh, yeah. how well uh, the our normal customers can access the site and have access to the functionality there that's In the end, how they also could like experience a denial of service because there's just no resources left to serve
4: them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And this was one of our questions as well. We said, okay, uh, with data protection, did we already have in place, and what did we still miss? So uh, what I learned from you right now is that we had this layer five kind of uh, solutions in place, but now you need to move up and uh, move to layer seven solutions, right?
1: Yeah, there's also solutions that you can buy. So I think we're all familiar with the captcha. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to be protected. But we also know it's like a, um, it is not user-friendly, right? You have to select something from an image. It's a vague image. You have no idea what you're doing. Uh, there's even been occasions where I was not able to convince the captcha that I'm human. Um, yeah. yeah, not so good experience. Another solution that you could use is, for instance, the Google Autoscaler which is a functionality that, that Google offers. So you just spin up an infinite amount of infrastructure that your credit card is willing to buy. Um,
4: that already is a very important uh, thing, right? That it uh, will come at a cost.
1: Yeah, and it's also yeah. dangerous because it's a non-sustainable solution. It's also not an environmentally friendly uh, user because we cannot spin up a thousand servers for every human in the Netherlands, right? That doesn't make any sense. The, no. So uh, you have to be cost-efficient, energy-efficient, and also, uh, yeah. So you, 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 yeah, the, the challenge is how can you better with, with, less, with less machines, think, less infrastructure?
0: I think you like boil down to the problem here is that you have a limited amount of uh, resources uh, to serve your customers. And if a an, um, party that's not going to uh, truly interact with your system with the intent to purchase anything, um, then the quota that you have um, w- will disappear. So you can see solutions in two directions. A, as Barry said, you can scale. This is very expensive, and you're not getting any return on that investment. The other side is that you can start looking into, okay, what is happening here, and trying to deal with that in a more uh, efficient way.
4: Yeah, and... and, and um... The, the the examples Barry you gave that are commercially available is is scaling or is protecting people to enter, but that's not user friendly. So yeah. uh, we we had to come up with a new solution. That's uh, yeah
1: yeah. That's the step and, you made. Yeah. yeah, and there's also if you think about what we're doing, is that the, these general uh, denial of service solutions that we have in place already that have been sufficient for the past twenty ish years or something they have been sufficient up to to like last year, but now we see in the the last year that they are no longer sufficient. And one of the things that they are doing is that they are uh, uh, general. So they work for all application services. So they work for web services, but they also work for mail services. They also work for DNS, they work for POP3, they work for uh, IMAP protocol. So they work for all protocols but in reality, we only serve one protocol, which is HTTPS, because we serve a web shop. Yeah. So, And that is an angle that we can leverage, because we only need to focus on the problem that we have, which is e-commerce webshop. So that was a direction where we were headed for. Uh, so we designed a solution that is specifically targeted for, for protecting e-commerce sites such as ours. Exactly. And,
3: and a solution that targets just HTTP traffic. There are not a lot of them available. That's what I hear also implicitly.
1: Yeah, so we contacted Google because we make use of their cloud armor and they said that they could not offer such service. They they agreed that it would be very smart to have such a system in place, but this is a service that they cannot offer. So if you want it, you have to build it yourself. So that's what we did because we were in a challenge. We were uh, a few weeks before season. So this was like, I think, in November-ish, if I recall correctly. Um, So we had to build, come up with a solution to understand the problem, what was going on, build a solution, test it, and go live like ASAP. Uh, And that's what we did.
3: So there was a lot of pressure also there going on. yes
4: heading towards okay. season yeah yeah because
3: yeah. I guess at some point you were doing some calculations on let's say resource availability expected traffic as we do for the season and then you got to a point where hey this amount of traffic for for these uh let's say <laughs> uh, non uh, buying intent uh, traffic is yeah. so large that it's gonna it's
1: no, I, uh, yeah, there, there were occasions where we were just minutes away from uh, being uh, offline because we could not handle the, the extreme amounts of traffic happening on our e commerce platform uh, at any moment during the day for for many, many hours. And um, that's not good. So we, it's a non sustainable solution. So we yeah. had to come up with a solution really fast. Um, yeah. But, uh, and
4: in what,
3: what kind of directions did we think and how did we converge to the solution that we came up with?
1: I think the biggest, so one thing is to understand the problem. So we started measuring just to gather up some data so we can just have some ideas of what we could be facing because we had no clue. It's like if you want to understand uh, like what is happening in the ocean, where do you start, right? It's it's a lot of water. So where do you start? So we just started gathering data doing some some manual analysis in uh, using Google BigQuery, which uh, can handle large extreme amounts of data. And then uh, we also wanted to leverage that we are understanding the semantics of the traffic that is happening. So we know our webshop platform. We know what we are offering at which points in time. So we could understand the protocol that we're serving. We are only focusing on HTTP. We know what requests look like. We know what kind of content is being served. So we could do analysis specifically on that part, which is different from the traditional tooling that have no clue what is happening. They just observe how computers are communicating with each other and whether or not they are respecting the TCP protocol. So we are understanding what we are requesting and sending to customers.
0: So i think it's worth well barry perhaps also to mention that at that point in time we uh, started uh, a two-fold approach so one was stop the bleeding so we really needed something really quickly so we had a multidisciplinary team um, people were really good with infrastructure really good with uh, analytical uh, data um, uh, and really strong programmers and we took a two-fold approach we knew a we needed to stop this now because we want to keep our site available for customers. The other approach was OK, whatever we're going to build now, short term, will help us through the season, but it's not a sustainable solution. So we really went uh, in two paths. At first, um, we implemented a solution where we were uh, just looking at the magnitude of requests coming from a certain actor. Actor could mean any party interacting with our site. And if the load got too high, we would basically uh, uh, cut everything be, uh, 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 off that did too much request. So, this way we were able to tame the volumes and keep the site alive. And what Barry was talking about, and by all means continue, Barry, uh, is that we also took a secondary route to say, okay, the core of this problem is understanding how our site is utilized and deciding. How do we want to spend our precious,
4: valuable resources? Yeah, and for for this talk, we are going to dive into that part, right? That uh, that's yep. more the the latter, long, yep. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Project, yeah. but I thought
0: it was yeah. important to sketch yeah, it for contact.
1: Thanks. Yeah, because we also knew that it would be more risky to go for the latter, because if you want to build le- like a machine learning solution for such problem, it yeah, we have we had no idea what we're getting into. Um, yeah, could be weeks, could be months before a solution was actually built. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we also had
3: no experience with it, and there's also no experience no. in the market. Otherwise, someone yes. would already have uh, commercially exploited it and tried to yeah. sell it to us.
1: Yeah, right. then we would just rent that. Yeah, because we have denial yeah. of service solutions in place. So if we, this would just be a feature that we could toggle on or, or uh, rent, then we would, of course, just use that. But it was not available. That's why we needed to. Uh, Go this path ourselves.
4: Exactly. Hey, but you said that, hey, it's it's for scraping, though. So I assume hey, when I when I Google a product and I go from Google to uh, to the product page, uh, it's it's just directly to 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 a link we uh, we present as Com. Yeah.
1: Uh,
4: and if I'm a, an external company and I'm uh, entering t- uh, 10,000 products that I want to scrape, I, I do effect the same. Hey? I, I go to that product directly. So is, is that exactly what, what you needed to do to this thing? Is that kind of traffic or am I thinking the wrong way?
1: No, I think that that, that could be the way. Um, so basically, so I cannot tell you too much about how we actually. Uh, how are you doing so that? So how, do yeah. how do we make sure like get access to the ground truth? Because that was uh, yeah something that we rather not share. However, we can do tell you that... There are two kinds of scenarios one is doing it while under time pressure so figuring out that you're in a denial of service attack while it's happening is actually technically quite tricky because you have to figure out like what is globally happening at this moment in a distributed environment however doing these analysis offline is much easier because if you just look at the web traffic of last week we can easily detect like these were patterns that are totally off or are patterns that we definitely don't, would not like to see on our systems, we would not like to see uh, commercially. Uh, So these are off. So so having an understanding of what these distributions look like in an offline setting is something that we do. And then we have training examples that we can feed into a a neural network that we worked on that can actually learn these patterns. And what is so unique about the neural neural network that we use is that it's a sequence-based neural network. So it takes the, the interactions of what someone is doing on a website. So he's navigating to certain products and then is might be doing this and then he's doing that. And that is input for a neural network to figure out whether these steps that you're taking is actually something where we think, OK, this is like uh, normal behavior or this is totally abnormal behavior and we can detect that based on the sequence and the order of in which you navigate through our site. To, to figure out whether or not uh, traffic could either be from a human actor or is from a uh, non-human actor.
0: Exactly, I would like to add something on this because I think the question that we asked when before we started implementing this is, what traffic do we want to serve, right? What is the traffic that is valuable for us, bold.com as a company?
3: Yeah.
0: And then you can easily derive, like for example, you have search engines, really interesting for us. Um, advertisement crawlers really interesting for us. Customers really interesting for us. Parties harvesting data without consent, less interest. And as Lina Strofaltz, uh I think, uh, said some uh, a very long time ago, like the only safe system is a system you cannot interact with. So it's really easy to build a solution when nobody can access a site anymore, right? So there needs to be a tremendous amounts of nuance in a solution to make sure that parties you want to be allowed to interact with your system are, in fact, always allowed to interact because you can already see the Twitter messages, Ball.com is not allowing me to buy anything. So that's something that you really, really want to prevent with such a solution, and that's basically the core of the analysis that we started doing.
4: Yeah. yeah and then if you look at the analysis, as you just described it, Barry, I'm trying to to, summar, uh, to summarize it for myself if I have it correctly. So the first step is that you do an analysis offline from the the past x amount of days, weeks yeah, uh, of, yeah. of the traffic.
1: Yeah.
4: That's input for uh, for this uh, for the system, and then uh, when the the real tra- traffic is happening, that is compared with these patterns, and based on on this comparison, we've, we will start filtering out. Is that?
1: Yeah. Thinking? So um, there's maybe something. To explain first, so when we start training these models, like in an offline manner based on historical data, we keep we separate this historical data into what we call training data. So these are IP addresses and sessions from randomly selected that we consider training. So that's used for the model to learn on. And then we also have some held-out IP addresses and sessions which the model has never seen before. And we already know how these sessions, how we labeled them, uh, if we think this traffic is okay or not okay. And to label this data, we can use any data available. Data, also data, for instance, which is very difficult to get access to while at runtime. For instance, did they use this service or will they within so many days do this or that? So in an offline environment, we have all the information available. Well, at runtime, we only have a limited amount of information. So when labeling the data, we can do that using any data that we have, but at inference, when we do predictions, we only have a limited amount of information available. So is the model able to generalize its knowledge and find the correlation between the limited amount of information and all the information that we have in the offline systems that we cannot use uh, uh, online? And therefore, um, uh, then we can evaluate this model based on the Held-out data and see how accurate it is at doing these predictions, and then we can deploy this model and actually use it in production, and then see if again how we labeled the data that was happening during the day correlate with the predictions that we did. Exactly,
3: <clears throat> and then basically, so like with, with a lot of data science models, we have like like a a, a, a training set and a kind of a, a test set to see yeah. will this work in a, in a controlled environment uh, but then at some point in time you also have to get either enough confidence to say okay i'm moving to pro yeah. or say nah, maybe not and you have to retrain the model or uh, yeah. add data or maybe get data away from it i don't know
1: yeah yeah so when actually building such model there's actually a lot of things that are in place so uh, when you have like information that you put in such model it's easy to get a very big model so one thing that we worked on is building an efficient uh, pipeline as you like so uh, we our pipeline that we built can actually determine the cardinality of categorical variables and then figure out whether or not data should be removed from our data sets
4: <laughs> okay yeah
1: so we so when building this model we quickly found out that this model becomes too slow to actually use. So we integrated some techniques, make them part of the model and pipeline itself. And then there is this process called hyperparameter optimization, where you can actually figure out like if we change parameters to the model, does it increase or decrease the accuracy? And then we did that for the pipeline as well as the model. And then using this black box optimization, we can automatically figure out like how much data should we remove. Uh, for instance, if 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 some value only, if a page is only happening like once time, once every month, it is not that interesting to actually take it into your model because you only have one interaction. So then uh, this optimization system can figure out that there's no actually value in having it, and then it will try to replace it with maybe an unknown flag. And it can figure this, our training pipeline can figure this out automatically and configure itself automatically to handle such uh, low frequency values. Uh, this was something that does not exist so we had to build it ourselves and the advantage of doing this is that it makes the model smaller and at the same time it makes because it's smaller it has to do less computation so at inference time it's very fast so all the technologies is something that we built and then we actually are training these models in the google cloud and then we can deploy it and then uh, we serve the model and then we figure out that the if we benchmark this model the latency for doing predictions is 0.3 milliseconds so which is very good
4: 0.3 milliseconds
1: <laughs> yeah so so the model itself can do like 3000 predictions per virtual cpu uh-huh. so if you have 10 cpus you can do 30000 predictions per node uh-huh. which uh, is pretty fast and that's not even optimized but this is already the out of the box performance that we uh-huh. have
4: but one step back you said so you have this model itself but on top of that you build a model so to to uh, predict and uh, by taking parameters in and out what the performance would be so model yeah. on top of a model
1: uh. that's not a model it's a it's a hyperparameter optimization it's like a process that that data scientists would do it's basically you use a right. tool that uses some black box algorithm to figure out like what should be the parameter values for 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 instance the sequence length that you put in your model should you take like uh, a, a day of data or a week or a month and that really matters a lot right because uh, yeah but you it's not
4: something uh, you're, you're you're trying to find that by trial and error it it is indeed by.
1: Um, yeah, and they use some sort of right. Bayesian statistics to figure out like what would be a sane value without trying all the combinations because that would be very too expensive to try out. So these 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 uh, black box algorithms are able to figure out like a good value for you with only a few trials. This is uh, something that a data scientist does. But what we did is we like also there
3: is had... something behind it.
1: Yeah, and then yeah, and then you get some sane values and what we changed is that we also the data processing itself part of the model because it's also something that you need to deploy itself because if you do inference if you want to do a prediction you get all these raw values all these raw facts of what's happening at that moment in time but it cannot directly be used as input for a neural network because a neural network only accepts uh, numbers so you have to transform all these values into numbers all these strings into numbers so it can actually be used and uh, so we made a s- simple pipeline that supports all these uh, functions to actually prune uh, d- these data sets to make them very small and efficiently. So, so we worked on multiple levels. We worked on the business problem. Exactly. We worked on uh, 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 building the model architecture. We worked on the training part, hyperparameter optimizations, and also a custom pipeline, which is very efficient, optimized for low latency, um, and it's optimized for doing sing, yeah, single predictions, because this is what's happening if you do inference, you're only predicting an individual request, which is different from if you do offline requests, uh, offline evaluations, then usually you use very large batches. Then you do a, a thousand predictions every every uh, every time cycle.
3: Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And, and so, so Barry, if I correctly. The the latter part uh, it would also be where basically the traffic from from our website would be sent connected to that pipeline there it would be evaluated and then it would be kind of okayed or not okayed in yeah very easy terms
0: it's a bit of a simplification of the <laughs> reality but I,
3: I'm a manager right <laughs> the,
0: the process is uh, exactly that yeah and Barry put a lot of effort in to allow us to do predictions on single requests because that's the nature of web traffic, right? Somebody does one thing and then another, and then another, and another. And we want to be able to um, prevent traffic as soon as possible uh, at the gates. So the less requests we need, um, the more uh, optimized our resources can be used to actually serve customers. And the post you described is pretty accurate in the sense that as soon as a request arrives at the website, Will uh, apply all kinds of intelligence and allow our shop to decide how to handle a request or not.
4: So, but in practice, it can be that uh, you start uh, you start your request and you will get an answer. But uh, after some request and when the system uh, gets this uh, no go, then uh, you are being blocked. Uh, That's uh, absolutely true. Yes. Hey, and 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 this model, I think it. And, uh, and when when you use it in in production, uh, I think there are, there's also some uh, infra uh, and the the infra side is also very related to this. So the, the making use of the cloud and uh, uh, to make to make things scalable. Can you elaborate on that one as well?
1: Yeah, I can maybe tell a little bit about the prediction part. and Maybe Frank can tell a little bit about what's happening before and after that. Or
0: absolutely. Yeah.
1: So. Um, yeah, so I can share a little bit like the technologies that we use. So for the model, we use PyTorch 2, which is like a, the recent version of PyTorch where you can actually compile the model. Then we use PyTorch Lightning, which is a higher level API, which makes it easier to use multiple accelerated devices for training your, your neural network at scale. So you can use the GPUs very easily. You just say, I want to train this model on four GPUs on this machine, and then we'll actually do this. And once we have a model in the pipeline, we need to serve a model. And for that we use Pytorch Surf, which is the Pytorch serving engine, which makes it easy to deploy a model, so to say, and it also spawns Python processes automatically for you. So it it, it fits within the Pytorch suite that we like because uh, yeah, I like Pytorch. I think it's a great tool for actually uh, building neural networks. Uh, as i said we build our, our data pipeline it's custom built because it needed to be fast and it needed to support some some pruning of the data the hyper optimization optimization is also done using uh, the pytorch lightning uh, we train the model in the google cloud so google is our cloud provider it offers you the capability using ai platform or vertex ai to basically just spawn a docker image uh train a model and then actually you can fill in how much accelerated hardware you would like to use. So then you could say, I would like to use four GPUs of this model, and then you know how much money they cost per hour. Um, so we train these models on currently on T4 and video cards. They're like 30 cents uh, without discount in the Google Cloud. And then we serve these models. And then uh, by default models run in debug mode. So that does not make a lot of sense in production. So we export them to Onyx, which is a Microsoft format. Which is optimized for fast inference. So then we export it to Onyx, and then uh, once we deploy the service with the PyTorch serve, then we load in the model in the Onyx format, and then it can do these predictions. And this is all working in the uh, Google Cloud. Maybe Frank can tell the context of how this is used.
0: <laughs> of course, it can. So it all starts with. Gathering data to label and train, right? That's how Barry basically explained um, uh, how we started off. So what we needed to do is in all our edge applications, meaning every application that is in fact uh, being accessed by customers or scrapers, bots, etc to instrument them to make sure we get uh, all the uh, access data um, of all the things that are happening of all the pages that are requested of all the um, uh, tasks that were requested to do. Now you can imagine the volume uh, of that in a system as well.com. so it, um, it it wasn't trivial to get all that up and running. Also, because we needed to touch n apps, um, and I think it's uh, well, we were lucky to be able to use Kubernetes in the Google Cloud. So we've uh, made sure that we set up an infrastructure that can uh, scale to the load really easily. Um, we're uh, heavily using uh, pops up there. Google's messaging system um, so we can scale the processing part of all that data infinitely without being impacted by the actual production load. And we store all that data anonymized um, in our BigQuery tables uh, so we can actually do uh, offline analytics and these offline analytics involve a, ra- a great deal of uh, BigQuery uh, uh, queries and jobs being run at night scheduled to uh, investigate the data, to uh, segment the data, to label the data, and then prepare a test set that is eventually fed um, to uh, uh, use while we train the neural network. So that's basically, in short, how we get the data and how we train it. Then the other part is you also need to instrument all your systems in time to be able to use the uh, neural network uh, at runtime, the inference part. So as soon as our shop receives a request, uh, we emit um, a request to uh, the inference system. That inference system is able to label an, an X amount of uh, classifications which will uh, remain proprietary um, and then tell the system, uh, give the system that requests it a suggestion on if to s- serve or not to serve uh, that particular request. And this system can be integrated through all more pieces of our landscape. So also other backend services can eventually use this to say, okay, it's nice that the shop or whatever wants to serve this feature to our customers. But we don't think that it's worth our CPU cycles. Um, This time we won't deliver any data. And that's basically how it all comes together.
4: That's up to the requesting system. What to do with that advice then? exactly
0: because the shop is yeah. might be the gatekeeper but it's not the know it all of our whole landscape there's a lot of business driven systems behind it and we think it's only fair to give them the opportunity to decide for themselves if something uh, should be handled or not however if the load on the edge systems like our shop becomes too high the system also uh, is able to act autonomously and protect the platform as a whole from um, being coming unavailable for customers.
4: Yeah. Different different kind of layers or steps. Uh, for time.
3: Yeah. yeah, exactly. How, how does the, the autonomous part? It, so so we basically we want the systems to decide for the larger part, but there's also like a, I call it the feel safe where we sometimes let the, the system decide autonomously, as we then call it to okay. <laughs> we definitely should not do that because it will bring harm to our systems in general. So there's like a
0: threshold or something there. or how, yeah. I'm not sure it's a really wise to go into the details okay. of the process too much. But this is how it works. But there is a system that can analyze traffic and say, okay, we had enough. And um, it can utilize the Google Cloud Armor functionality to stop things at the gate.
3: Exactly. Okay. Okay. And that's also again why we use the Google Cloud and the possibility it offers to uh, yeah, regulate, let's say, the traffic that's coming uh, and that we should uh, respond to.
0: Absolutely. We strongly we, uh, have a strong philosophy that we should stand on the shoulders of giants and in this case benefit from all the logic, uh, the knowledge Google has in the safeguarding its systems uh, so we gladly utilize the tooling that google offers us. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah I think and uh, yeah what what you shared is a lot about uh, data science and about cloud solutions. Um, what what did we learn from uh, both areas that we can use in other innovations. Maybe start with cloud first.
0: Um, Start with cloud first, I find it difficult. Can I share what my intuition was when you answer asked the questions w- without the guidance? Yeah. I feel that uh, the cross discipline collaboration with infrastructure people, uh, data analysts, developers, etc. That that was for me the biggest eye opener that we've uh, when you put these um, characteristics, these different uh, uh, capabilities of people together to work on a single problem, you'll have this synergy that is really hard to achieve um, under normal conditions. So I also feel very lucky that uh, um, I think it's what Churchill said, never waste a good crisis, but this uh, systems going uh, down, uh, almost going down, actually brought us together and allowed us to do something that might not have been possible in a normal business process. Um, So for me, that that's the. Biggest learning point, uh, to be honest. Also, awesome. yeah.
3: And I think uh, it's indeed, in I think that a few things that are, I, I've heard uh, the phrase, uh, let's not waste a good crisis multiple times on Bolivcom. So it's really part of our, I think, our tech culture and uh, where we really want to improve things. And then, uh, and I think the other thing, uh, bringing combat- uh, together different disciplines that for some reason don't always come together because they're focused on let's say their own problem now look at it in a more integral or holistic way uh yeah just I, I, yeah. uh, so awesome that we again uh yeah uh, <laughs> came out uh, with, with, uh, with a great solution uh Dev. Awesome. Yeah. If...
4: Yeah, for you, yeah. Barney. You wanted to add something, I
1: think. Yeah, I think so. I could, yeah, I can totally relate to what Frank is saying. And even we were uh, the, the team working on this was uh, across different departments within our company. So we're not even. I think we're not all in the same space. So we cross uh, discipline, cross platform, cross yeah. domain. So uh, yeah. So uh, but before this project, I had not worked with Frank before. So um, so <laughs> I I, I think.
3: Both of you are already for a really, really long time at Ball.com, right? Yeah,
1: so, yeah, for me, it's, I think, yeah, going 13 years. Frank uh, probably also a lot. So uh, so I think it's also nice that we were able to to be effective uh, in collaboration while working in different departments, on different fields, on different topics. No one was aware of how to work on denial, distributed denial of service attacks. Uh, with, with unknown personalities, you have no idea who you will be working with and what their passion is, et cetera. And, 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 uh, so, uh, yeah, I really like that about the project itself and then the people working on it. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, I the, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so uh, the other thing that uh, might be good to realize is that, this, that the, this whole machine learning neural network-based technologies that we just mentioned are very immature because they are bleeding edge builds so you're constantly dealing with failures or error messages it's poorly documented so it's a tough road to to work with and what i also liked about this project is that we now can take the deliverables that we built and actually use them as templates for other projects as well because now they're battle tested from uh, cross-disciplinary Uh, perspective so from engineering perspective from analytics perspective all the insight that we made there's even a a a very awesome dashboard being built by front-end developers how we can gain insights in what is happening in real time and i think these could all be used as templates for other projects that work on low latency sequence based predictions when dealing with massive amounts of data uh, in a scalable manner. Uh, yeah that's what i wanted to add (laughs)
4: <laughs> that's, and that's what I wanted to say about this, uh, about this question. Eh? That when, when we prepare the, the podcast, we think when we put a question like this, we get a lot of tech-related uh, stuff. Eh? And, and, and the first thing you, you say about this, uh, what did we learn is about collaboration, eh? organization. <laughs> and then you dive into the tech part of it. So it's quite a funny. Yeah. Yeah,
0: if now, it's Paul. If I may add something, like what we've really put time in is, and especially Barry, is getting this to work sub-millisecond on a production environment in real time, and I think there's a lot of innovation in this project. We're using all kinds of bleeding-edge technologies. Um, Barry has done a lot on uh, the training uh, optimization, but running a system with the loads that we see on production and uh, requesting a judgment on every request that's coming in, I think. Um, well, honestly i'm really proud of that and i think uh, i've learned so much at, and we delivered a lot of value um so yeah when it comes to utilizing a crisis uh, peter paul i think uh, we uh, made the best of it
4: yeah. awesome i can use this story yeah yeah Peter paul questions left before we go to the closing round
3: no i i'm, I'm uh, i i again uh like Frank said, yeah it makes me proud that we that we are working at a company that uh, that can achieve such uh, things and uh, also connecting to your argument, uh, what you were saying, Peter. That interesting that then in a way it's about that we work together and how we work together, and that that's again more important than than the technologies. Uh, but still, we solved it with a lot of great uh, technology and a uh. lot of." technology that we have a uh, uh, great uh, trust in. So yeah, that's just awesome to see. OK, yeah, then, and then our uh, yeah, final question to you uh, guys would be, uh, yeah, what's what's the most important takeaway? What do you want uh, yeah, our listeners to really have learned from this podcast?
1: I support Frank in uh, collaboration is key and never waste a good crisis.
0: <laughs> awesome. Have you Frank? Found- yeah, it's going to sound a bit lame, but I think for me those are really the key points. And I think what we shouldn't forget is that, uh, and I think you expressed that nicely, Peter Paul, Boll is, Ball is a company that allows that and promotes that and pushes people to uh, really make things better, especially if the opportunity presents itself. So uh, from that perspective, I'm a very happy camper. I'm really proud to work here.
4: Yeah, for me, it's 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 indeed um, nice to have these insights again. Uh, something under the hood uh, uh, to learn how we uh, deal with these kind of uh, things that the whole world is trying to deal with, right? Uh, and, and, and indeed, indeed it's uh, it's something you uh, you wouldn't know if uh, if we de- don't dive into it. So, happily to to share what we were able to share in that sense. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time, uh, guys, for sharing the story.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked the episode, check some of the others. Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for TechLab and subscribe. Leave a five-star review so others can find the podcast easier and spread the word. We like interactions, so if you have any questions or suggestions, find us on Twitter, LinkedIn or mail techlab at Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun.